Welcome to the Stuffed Fabulist on Air, audio commentaries by Jeffrey Grossans from the website www.stuffedfabulous.com. These commentaries present an independent point of view in the form of original fables and parables on psychological, social, political, spiritual, and philosophical questions of today. The ultimate moral or lesson of each tale is left to listeners to decide. Have any other supporters of the public broadcasting service been bothered by a growing degree of intellectual and cultural complacency in a number of programs, including some old favorites, and the reliance for informed opinion on a clubby group of what might best be called rotary academics from a small circle of universities and think tanks? Admittedly, this development hasn't occurred in a vacuum. How many of us have watched in disbelief the sad lowering of general standards at PBS over the years through such vulgarities as Antiques Roadshow, which truth in broadcasting would more accurately label just plain folks at their most grasping and goggle-eyed, and the never-ending culture-light addiction to mediocre British programming? Are we still unable to shake this long inferiority complex? not to mention an apparent fondness for kitchen antics by the grinning station staff covered in dough, and the inevitable pledge-night DVDs awaiting those encouraged to indulge their sense of entitled nostalgia for the days when their generation still saw itself as the hope of the world. Or it might be yet another personal awareness maven wandering aimlessly about the stage and offering yet another string of tired maxims to live by, all delivered to packed audiences of balding and sagging boomers in glazed rapture. Is this what passes for wisdom now, this nodding in unison at what we think we already know? or else some energetic huckster rattling off the latest snappy tips for managing the same audience's wealth and or equally snappy tips on where it all suddenly disappeared to after the last advice. Anyone asked to continue supporting such fare with a renewed contribution on the pretense that nothing better is possible and the manipulative implication that failure to keep programming like ours on the air will amount to a mark of ingratitude and thus a personal failure on the viewer's part has probably suffered more than once the feeling of being the victim of serial intellectual and cultural abuse yet was just too ashamed to tell anyone about it. But when PBS offers faithful viewers the collective insight of a round table of beltway journalists who've clearly been breathing too much of each other's air of late, and who, confident that a knowing glibness is the same thing as knowing, have taken to chummily tossing about soft questions, then taking turns reciting answers everybody at the table already knows, but must pretend to be hearing for the first time in the even greater pretense that those of us interested enough to tune in haven't already read the same thing in the newspaper hours or days before, 
then a state of denial that our good will and wits are being abused by people we've loved and trusted for years can no longer be ignored. They are better people than this. We all want to believe. The same wish to believe the best of those we've put our trust in may account for our otherwise inexplicable toleration for the nightly presumption that our grasp of current affairs is advanced somehow by an uncritical refereeing of opposed views on the events of the day introduced with something like and to help us understand more about the issues involved we are joined by two guests one has spent a lifetime studying the matter at hand and the other is the village idiot welcome to you both i'll begin with you village idiot what then follows is generally the countenancing of polemic in the guise of erudition, and the discussion slides downhill from there. The idea that understanding grows out of a mere contest of opinions on their way to becoming lecture or book notes or think-tank abstracts says as much about those lending themselves as guests to this charade as those promoting it. Some might argue it says a good deal more about the guests. In that spirit comes the following tale, which borrows a two-headed creature from the voyages of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting, named the Push-Me-Pull-You, and may help explain the strange mental numbness viewers often report suffering for days after these discussions. The Push-Me-Pull-You once a push-me-pull-you was invited to appear on public television. With a head at each end, the push-me-pull-you was understandably attractive to interviewers on highly regarded news and public affairs programs. And the prospect of getting two heads in place of one was bound to appeal both to producers mindful of budgetary constraints and to local fundraisers looking for that special plus at pledge time. The push-me-pull-you could have opted to become a regular on one of the cable networks, making a name for itself in the customary snort-and-snicker-fest that fills so much of the broadcast schedule there. But it considered such behavior to be distinctly infradig. Certainly not the equivalent of holding forth in front of a computer-generated graphic repeating the name of a prestigious university over and over. The degree of gravitas automatically conveyed by such staging was precisely what it should be. That fact, and the public television format of equally divided assertions on every controversial issue delivered in low-key, lecture-like tones, agreed far better with the Pushmi-Pullyu's estimation of its own intellectual worth. For years it had been cultivating precisely this art of self-canceling thought in the halls of academe and at influential think-tanks. Whatever the topic under consideration, the push-me-pull-you had become adept at supporting opposite sides with the same degree of conviction and at demonstrating the mental deafness to change positions without ever appearing, or at least ever admitting, to have done so. As a result, 
It had experienced no difficulty in earning rapid promotion, early tenure, release from all teaching, and other marks of academic recognition. The Pushmi-Poyu's curriculum vitae was easily quadruple the length of any of its colleagues, and listed publication after publication, with titles containing a colon in the middle to balance a cleverly cryptic opening, with a follow-up phrase intended to make some sense of it. On occasion, the Pushmi-Poyu replaced the colon with the word or, and it may have been this or that especially appealed to those in public television charged with enlisting evenly divided authorities for nightly zero-sum discussions. The Pushmi-Poyu never disappointed its hosts in this regard. On any issue, it could always be relied upon to respond immediately to a penetrating question on the order of... What do you think about our previous guest statement? With an appropriate counter-opinion, and then, without missing a breath, to switch to the other head and counter its own counter-opinion before opposing guests could even open their mouths. In addition, because it was always pushing and pulling against itself, the Pushmi-Poyu had the welcome characteristic of never forcing the audience to go very far in any direction in order to follow it, which allowed virtually the same set of opinions to be recycled again and again, night after night. All went well in this mutually agreeable marriage between celebrity academia and broadcast journalism until a child touring the studio one day as part of a school field trip saw the Pushmi-Poyu waiting to go on set and asked, Excuse me, but since you've got heads at both ends, where does the you-know-what come out? More fables and parables, like the one you've just heard, are available for reading, downloading, and forwarding at www.stuffedfabulous.com. Bound collections of tales in the series Likely Stories, Contemporary Fables and Parables, and audio CD collections of selected tales can also be ordered through bookstores or directly through the orders page of the website.